Holy Spirit, Lord, today as we study. And uh, as we think on these things, help us to glean principles of truth from it that we can apply to our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for all those that are joining, uh, that are on the line and will we'll, uh, review or see this later. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let me um, share my live stream. Um, Let's see here. I'm a member of so many groups, I have to scroll to the right groups. Well, we're number one. We just gonna claim ourselves as number one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. You are so right. Um, let me see. Okay. I usually share to about three groups. Okay, there we go. All right, now let's get to our chapter for today. This is a, we're taking up and continuing to finish out chapter 95 today. Uh, and 95 was really about, it started out, she started out uh, with, um, I guess, a letter to Brother D. And she was just talking about previously how he just, he was um, not quite convinced that he should follow the whole truth. And he had a lot of stumbling blocks in his way. Um, let me see if I can just kind of summarize some of the things that she was saying about him before we go to where we are for today. Uh, she talked about evil angels surrounding him and diverting his mind from Christ, causing him to look upon God as a God of justice and to lose sight of God's love, compassion, and mercy and crucified risen Savior. Um, she said he had a lot of mental anxieties and he was harkening to the suggestions of Satan and murmuring and complaining about different stuff and distrusting God. Um, she said he had not yet yielded to all the truth and he had not yielded his own will uh, and that he feared that the truth would cost him too much and will cost him his possessions. Um, he was, he did not believe in the system of systematic giving and systematic benevolence. Um, but, his, but his wife and his daughter, his oldest daughter were praying for him. Um, she said he stumbled at the health reform. And so apparently he was still eating and consuming stuff that was not healthful for him. Um, and she said that he could have benefited from health reform. And she said that he was in danger of being stricken down by paralysis because of the things that he was eating and that, that one half of him might even die off. So this is where we start today. And then she, she talks about, now we're on paragraph 546.2. She talks about how um, the youth of this time are not religiously inclined because of a defect in their education. And specifically, I think she's talking about a defect in their education at home and, and uh, training up in the Lord and training up in obedience to their parents. And she says in that 
in the in this paragraph at the bottom, she says that a doting father should not close his eyes to the faults of his children because it is not pleasant to administer correction. She said, you both need to arouse and with firmness, not in a harsh manner, but with determined purpose, let your children know they must obey you. You know, I think in this day and age, there are so many, not just fathers, but parents that just let their children have their way and let their children do what they want to do because they want to be friends with their children. They don't want to parent I got, their I got a question on that one too, Sister Karen, when you finish. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. What happens, and, and I understand, you know, that parents are trying to follow Ellen White on what she says, having a Christian home. But what happens when the father and the mother, I guess because maybe one of the parents don't believe in spanking, which I don't say you have to spank your kid to make your kid understand. But what happens when you're talking to your kid and you say, you know, this is wrong and your kid just scream in your face, shut up. Mm. And this is supposed to be a Christian home. Cause my thing of it is when they do it at home and it's not corrected, when you get them in the classroom, they don't know they're doing it wrong. That's wrong because they get away with it at home. So my question is, what do, what do you say to Christian parents that say, I'm trying to follow everything that I'm reading in the different books from Ellen White, but they see nothing working, but they don't know what to do after that because they don't believe, like I said, in spanking, and they see their little kids telling them to shut up in their face. Mm. Well, thankfully, we have a counselor on uh, in the class, and I'm going to defer that question to her. The, the counselor is busy getting seconds. Oh. <laughs> but I would say... Thank you, Lakita. Any help will help. <laughs> you know, it points out about up above that the mother should always have the cooperation of the father in efforts to lay the foundation of good Christian character in her children. And that's even if one or both of the parents is not Christian, you still have to work together. Kids start at a young age, splitting the parents up. They'll know who to go to if one says no and the other says yes, and they'll play you against each other. So you have to be united in your decision to give your kids the best character foundation that you possibly can. And then also it says uh, at this last paragraph, you need to arouse, meaning you're going to have to do some work. You can't just sit there and let it happen. You're going to have to take some action with firmness and determination and let your kids know, hey, I'm the parent. You're the kid. You know, we mm -hmm. had a, uh, a, little, a little picture or slogan on our wall when Holly was growing up. It's the chicken, a mother hen, and the little chicks are looking at her and the mother hen saying, because I'm the mommy, that's why. <laughs> Sometimes that's the answer. Because I'm the parent and I get to tell you what to do because I'm training you and teaching you. But a lot of times you don't have that cooperation and the kids just play off of it. And it's to not only their detriment, your detriment, but also like Patsy's question to people that they interact with in society. Mm -hmm. okay. And you know, I think, wait a minute, Lakita. <laughs> I think a lot of times you have parents that bring baggage to the relationship and they didn't like being told what to do. So then they in turn don't want to tell their children what to do. They want to be their friend and get along and, and have their, their children like them. But go ahead, Lakita. I think, uh, well, 
Uh, the parents, for whatever reason, I don't even know why a child would say shut up to their parents. I don't know why that <clears throat> that style of language is in his sort of vocabulary or hers, whatever. But if you have made a mistake and your child has gotten to that place, you can sit the child down. <clears throat> and I don't care what age they are. People are like, oh, they don't understand. They will understand. That's a, that The point is, is that they will uh, because you have to be very consistent. But you can say to that child, you know what? I really don't like the way you're talking to me. That's not acceptable. It's not going to happen. So now the next time you say it, then you will have to, whatever the consequence is going to be, you're going to have to go to your room. And if they go in their room and play with toys, you know, then we're going to have to take the toys out. You know, if you go in your room and turn on TV, the TV comes out. Now, these things don't get to go back in there. You know, they, you just don't do that. People are like, oh, they took it out for a week and now the kid has it back. That's really nothing. So, but you'll get to say to them, um, you know, this is, I'm going to correct you and show you how to talk to me. But you sometimes, if they've heard people talking in that tone of voice and saying those kind of words, then they are learning from whoever that it's okay to talk like that. And you have to learn and reteach that this is not the way you're going, you're going to talk to me and it's not the way you talk to anybody. So when they say that, then either... I'm, if they're old enough, I'm for writing sentences, you know, 500 times, you know, I, mm. I do not say, you know, uh, shut up or well, 500 may be a lot for the first, we can start with 50 and um, then we take it up to 60, then we take it up to 70, then we, you know, you just keep going up. But the thing is, whatever you do, you must be consistent with it. Some people will say, oh, that's not going to touch them. Maybe it won't. But if you're consistent with it, eventually it does, you know, and stuff. So, but you you have to explain to them, you're not going to talk to me. I don't like that tone. Um, I know my daughter, my granddaughter told me, she said, you know, Gigi, you sound mean sometimes. I said, <laughs> I do. She said, yes. I said, when do, when do I sound mean? She said, wait, like, sometimes when you tell me to do something, I said, well, you know, I'm kind of confused, Naomi. Do I just come in and say... Uh, go get the plate. Do I do that? She said, no. I said, so what happened? She said, well, uh, usually you told me more than one time. I said, right. I said, do you like for me to talk to me to you? No. I said, so what you going to do? I said, maybe if you do it the first time, I'll never get to the mean voice. Mm -hmm. I said, you think you can do it the first time? That's a, like a two or three-year-old when she said that. So kids can understand a lot more than what we give them credit for. <laughs> And you communicate what you want and you be serious about it. I think she says you be firm and determined. And that means you don't let people say, oh, all kids do that. Our teenagers are this way. It's not acceptable behavior. And so you just say to them, this is not going to happen. And this is what's going to happen when you do this and you stick to it. A lot of times, too, <clears throat> like Lakita's saying, sometimes we let them get away with it when they're little because, oh, he's so cute and she's so cute. Listen to how she says, shut up, you know, mm -hmm. we think mm -hmm. it's funny and cute. And then when they're 14 and 15, it ain't so cute anymore. You right. know, and then we try and stop them when we could have stopped, nipped it in the bud. I remember, uh, yeah, I remember when kids used to say whatever all the time. Oh, whatever. And how I put the that, hand up to you like yeah. your face like. Yeah, Holly used to say that. And I said, Holly. Don't say whatever to me. I'm not one of your friends at school. You don't get to talk to me any kind of way. And she stopped doing it because I started that early. Mm -hmm. You know, I let her know that's not acceptable. And one of the things, too, with parents uh, was mentioned trying to be friends. You know, we have uh, tenants that we work with 
and I have is one of my principles I work by. I I can be friendly with the tenants, but I'm not their friend. Mm. So there's a difference. You can be friendly with your children, but don't become their friends because now that puts you on the same level as them. And that's Mm -hmm. when they start talking to you any kind of way, treating you with disrespect, calling you out of your name and stuff, because you put yourself on that level by saying we're friends. No, Mm -hmm. we're not friends. I'm your dad or I'm your mom. I'll speak to you friendly and I'll be friendly, but I'm not your friend. Absolutely. And I think that we have to maintain, like even when we're dealing with the children at the church, we have to maintain a certain level of um, distance from them so that they view us with respect instead of they view us like, uh, you know, we're just one of them. Um, I remember I had a person that did that a person at church, a young person was calling me Lee. And Mm -hmm. I said, wait a minute, you Mm -hmm. don't get to call me Lee, call me brother Carol or elder Carol. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't having it. And they got to, you know, calling me elder Carol or brother Mm -hmm. Carol. You just Mm -hmm. have to let them know, like was said with firmness, this ain't going to how this, this not going to be how this works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember when um, one of my children uh, they had just gotten a new pair of Jordans and they acted up and I took those Jordans in a heartbeat and they never got them back. And yeah, and so, so people, people are really leery of that. I, I, um, that was one of the things I did with uh, little clients was they have to pay restitution. So I had one little boy bullying another little boy and he was uh, bullying him calling him a white, a white albino. This little guy was albino, a white albino. Well, just making a little boy's day at school horrible. So I told him, they told me about it. And I said, okay, you know, I said, so you have to make restitution. So I have him say the word restitution and spell the word restitution. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of funny to me, you know, it kind of takes a sting out of it if you feel annoyed. And then to say it again and give him the meaning of it. When you hurt somebody, you have to make them right. You have to restore them and stuff. I said, so you have to give him one of your toys. Since you hurt him, you have to give him something that belongs to you to say, I'm sorry. So he comes giving me this piece of something. It was broken toy and stuff. Mm. And so I took it, you know, and so he was like, he was staring at me, staring at me. I was getting ready to leave. He said he couldn't stand it any longer. He said, Miss Carol. I said, huh? He said, I don't even want that. I don't even want it. It's broken and I don't even want it. He thought he was being smart. And I said, I know you don't want this. I said, and that's the whole point. I said, because what's going to happen is you're going to go back to school. You're going to call him a white albino. And I'm going to take another toy. You're not going to give me your best toy. I said, but I'm going to be here every week. You know, I come here every week. I don't even miss one day. Have you ever known that I missed a day? No. So I'm going to be here. And every week, you're going to call him a white albino. Every week, I'm going to take a toy. Every week. I said, and then, you know what? You're not going to have any more toys except that one. It was like those handheld little games that he had back in the day. I Mm. said, that game right there. And guess what? You're going to go to school and call him a white albino. And I'm going to take that game. I said, but this is going to be different. All the other toys I'm not going to give to him because they're not nice. I said, but this one, I'm going to give it to him. And you're going to sit in your classroom and know that he has your toy. Mm. You do what you do. Miss Carol will do what she does. And we're going to see who's going to win this game. Oh, wow. So he he um, never said it again. You know, I told him I haven't. 
heard anything about you calling him a white albino. What happened? <laughs> he said, I'm this girl. That was boring anyway. <laughs> so if the consequence is merciful enough, it's kind of a balance. And yet it was merciful because he got to give the worst stuff first. He had plenty of time to change his behavior. Plenty of options. I even told him some things he could do instead of calling him a white albino, whatever, you know. Um, so yeah, all the things he needed to make a different decision. And it was just left up to him to be motivated enough to move on that decision. So that's what we want to do. We want to give them your hair, sweetheart. You, you can't talk to me like that because I'm your parent. I don't want you talking to me like that. It's rude and it's not very attractive. So I'm going to help you become more pretty, prettier. And I'm going to help you to be kinder because whenever you say this rude thing, I'm going to let you go to your room. And I'll come and get you out. Do not let kids get up out the bed and come when they feel like it. That's not a punishment. You say, I'll come and get you out. The first day you may wait for, you know, 10 minutes. And they say, they say it's 15. You say, and lay down in the bed. Whatever your thing is, you do it. And, and sooner or later, they'll get the message. Sooner or later. And like okay. if, they have to, if they have to write sentences, Wait till their favorite TV show comes on. Act like you've forgotten. <laughs> and say, oh, you know, your TV show is, is almost on. But you got to get my senses before seven, right? So I think you better go do that instead. Mm. Let them cry. Let them stop. If you stop, you're going to have to write 50 more. Mm. Okay. Patsy, did that help you? Yeah, that, that kind of gave me some direction. Thank you. Mm. Okay. All right. We're going to move on to the next uh, paragraph where she's talking still again about a father and his role in the family. And uh, she said that he must not, as a child, move merely by impulse. He is bound to his family by sacred holy ties and every member of the family centers in the father. His very name, house band, is the true definition of husband. He is the lawmaker, illustrating in his own self the sterner virtues, energy, integrity, honesty, and practical usefulness. The father is in one sense the priest of the household, laying upon the altar of God the morning and evening sacrifice, while the wife and the children unite in prayer and praise. And with such a household, Jesus will tarry, and through his quickening influence, the parents' joyful exclamations shall be heard amid more exalted scenes, saying, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me, saved, saved, eternally saved, freed from the corruption that is in the world through lust and through the merits of Christ, made heirs of immortality. I know all of us want to be able to say that about our children and our grandchildren, for that matter. Um, and, um, but... It's, it's really stressing the importance of a godly father, a godly husband, one who is an example um, in his household rather than just a uh, mouthpiece. <laughs> Any comments on that paragraph? She also talks about fathers, they have to realize their responsibility. They have to learn self-control. And she says that perfect self-control will act as a charm upon the whole family. And that when this is attained, a great victory is gained and then they can educate their children mm -hmm. in self-control. Mm -hmm. 
So the father is supposed to be an example of godly virtue, self-discipline, self-control. Because if he doesn't control himself, he's not self-disciplined. When he tries to discipline his children, how's that going to work out for him? And you know, your kids are watching you too. So if you try and say something to them, they're like, well, why you did it? If you try mm-hmm. to tell them don't smoke, you smoke two packs a day. Why are you telling me not? To? So mm-hmm. as, as you read earlier, illustrating in his own manly bearing the virtues, energy, integrity, and practical usefulness. So as fathers and husbands, we have to, you know, allow the Lord to give us self-control also. And also we need to be on our P's and Q's and doing what we need to do. Otherwise, how can we point a finger at somebody else? If I'm not doing my job, I can't point at you and say, you're not doing your job. So we have to, first of all, be good examples so that our children do learn from us. Uh, I saw something um, on the internet, I think, or on TV or something. And uh, a father was scolding his child because the child had took some things from school. And uh, the father said, you don't have to take no pencils and paper from school. I can get that from my job. (laughs) so talk about being an example (laughs) he was getting on the child for the very thing that he was telling him not to do but he was doing it he was getting ready to do it but you know i think too even at the high school level when i was was teaching i often found that when you call the fathers they would listen to you know i say you know, your child's done this and done that. And they're like, okay, I'll let the mama know. <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh. so, you know, and I hate to say this. I think the fathers, especially with the girls, they was like, you know, I don't handle discipline when it comes to her. I let, I let her mother do it, but I'm glad you called me. But I said, you know, in my mind, I was like, well, somewhere along the line, my mom and daddy would get together, sit down and decide what they're going to do to us. And I was like, man, we, we, we grew up in the wrong generation because if, if it was just left up to the mama, we could have probably, you know, got around mama sometime. But when there's two of them sitting down and deciding what, what punishment you're going to get. But I kind of laugh about that. I said, there are many fathers out there that's like, I let my wife do the discipline. And I said, and I, I, I don't know whether it's because the dads are saying, look, I don't want to deal with these kids or what. But, you know, it is a large majority of men that will say, I let my wife do the discipline. Well, that used to be the thing. Wait till your father gets home. But, <laughs> you know, in our household, it was just my mom. So it wasn't no wait till anybody gets home. Once she was there, it was on. So a lot of times you don't have that wait till your father get home. And it's kind of sad. We were talking about this the other day, how it seems like the men seem to be so disconnected from the families. And I know it's not a current thing. It's been happening for hundreds of years, but it's still sad to see whenever there's a funeral, they show somebody a funeral on TV, all women, whenever it's a protest about somebody dying in the street, all women, whenever you show church service, all women. And it's just sad that the men aren't taking more of a, uh, active part in raising families. Mm. I have mm-hmm. a question for everybody. Maybe the men on the line, Lee and Andre, and any other male listening might want to close your ears, <laughs> but did you, was there some type of, and I don't have a cute way to say it or a nice way to say it, that you have to train your husband's Anybody ever heard that before? 
I even think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, say, say that again. Say that again, Lakita. You have to train your husband. I think even oh. since Mike talks about women have to, I'm just going to say it because I don't have the words for it right now. I may look it up. While you need to train your sons. Say that again. Then train your husbands. Train your sons. Train. You I'm know, not what, raising a man. Well, she talks about getting the rough edges off of men. You know, as a as a wife, you know, get the rough edges off of men. But I do think that as um, the sister wife is talking about the husband being the house band too. Um, the man sometimes, to me, men may miss the mark when it comes to like disciplining, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I don't know that it always comes naturally to men, and so some women I do think need to speak up. For example, that situation that Patsy said where. The man said, I'm going to let my wife do it. She needs to say to him, it's really okay. You're the father. And I trust that you're going to make the, the best decision that you can make at that time. You know, if it comes out not right, together we'll fix it. But it's giving him some permission. And in that sense, maybe um, training him or teaching him too. you know, um, and, and I certainly rely on me to help me to learn some things because he has a different perspective and not always it's not always the same and I do remember my mom used to say to me never ever 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 uh, support your husband in doing wrong never do that because if they do it out in the streets they're going to bring it back home to you so you never ever always support you can say train them to do the right thing when they start thinking about doing something wrong and bring it to you, correct them. Don't let it stand. Don't do that. And I think husbands have the same responsibility, but I think it's the women who really bear the, the real kind of like burden, if you will, for kids. You know, you feel a, I'm sure men do too, but there's just such a strong feeling about your kids and wanting them to be safe. Well, I think some of that is, of course, the maternal instinct and the fact that women carry the child for nine months before the man even has anything to say about it, uh, raising them. So it's a lot of uh, instinct there, but also I do agree, husbands and wives have to talk it out and say, you know, how are we gonna discipline the kids? How are we gonna train the kids? How are we gonna educate the kids? So as we had read earlier, there has to be some cooperation. It shouldn't just be left up to one or the other to handle the business of raising a family. And a lot of men do. They just want to go to work and then go hang out or something and not deal with the family issues. But it's your family. It's the man's family. Both of you should be involved, not just one or the other. I think yeah, about- and, I, and I had to admit to Elder Carol, I, my, I used to when my sister used to get mad at her kids, she'd be like, you act just like your daddy. And I was like. Why you say that to your kids? She said, because they, they know what I mean. And I said, and that, that, that's discouraging to children, too, to be told that you acting like one or the other parent, especially if the parent, like you said, is they just want to go to work and come home. They don't want to hear about all these kids and what they done did wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I think about um, when I grew up, my father was not Adventist. He wasn't thinking about church or anything like that, but he really respected how my mother raised us. So she kind of set the tone for a lot of things, like what 
can be done on Friday nights and Sabbath. Um, you know, a lot of different things about how, you know, our lifestyle as Adventists, the foods we eat. Now, my father came from the dirty south, way down in Louisiana, so he would eat a lot of the gumbo and shrimp and those kinds of things. So she basically told him, you're going to cook that stuff in a whole nother pot, a whole nother set of pots. You're not cooking them in my pots. And he abided by that. Don't ever feed these children any of that food. They will not be eating any of that stuff. And he respected that. But I got, uh, I got disciplined by both of them. I was really more, more respectful and fearful of him and didn't realize he never hit us. But I always thought I got hit by him. He never touched us. I didn't realize he never touched us till he was he had passed for seven years. And then I realized that man never hit me. But I was more scared of him than I was of my mother, who beat me all the time. But I would I would I would try to play games. You know how kids play games between their parents. And one night he came in, it was about eight o'clock. I asked him, could I watch TV? He said, sure. Not knowing that my mother really wanted us to go to bed. So when she found out we were still up, and I said, well, Daddy said we could watch TV. First of all, she beat me into the bed, and then she went and got on him. <laughs> he, they're not supposed to be watching TV at this time of night. They're supposed to be in bed. They got school to go to in the morning. So then he comes in there and says, why didn't you tell me what she said? Why didn't and they, he got on me? So I, I, could, I knew then I couldn't play them against each other because they, eventually they would come together, and they would both come down on us. Mm -hmm. But um, but but yeah, I think he knew he didn't really have a uh, he wasn't really spiritually driven at all. And he knew that she was and he was very proud of where we went to church and the church school. He never stood in her way when it came to the, the, the values that she gave us spiritual values. But um, and so he kept those things. But yeah, discipline. If somebody did something wrong and you hurt and he found out about it, man, the whole house shook. Everybody was scared. And, you know, um, I know that we uh, don't want to think of it as training, but somewhere along the line mm -hmm. in this interaction between her and him, she gave him a clear, clear understanding that these are the boundaries that we are going to live with in this house. And he recognized it wasn't going to be a fight he was going to win. It was going to be a second, you know, a second alternative method going on in the house. Has she not? Has she not given him that strong indication that this is what's going to happen? This is what the way is going to go with, with uh, our children. I believe people just do whatever they can if you don't put some boundaries in place. And, and that's, you know what it, that's what it's talking about with the cooperation. Mm -hmm. However it gets done, husband and wife have to talk it out and decide how are we going to handle these situations? Because again, the kids, they'll figure it out. Oh, I can go to dad and get anything. Uh, if I want this, I need to go to mom. And they'll play you between each other. And sometimes the parents end up fighting each other instead of working it out together to make sure that they're yes. um, raising their kids properly. You're so right, Elder. You're so right. Yeah, I, I don't ever remember him trying to do anything behind her back or, ha or getting us to do something that he didn't agree with. I never remember that. Every everything, there was a set rule. We all knew it. <laughs> he abided by it. And I think the undercurrent, of course, we found out later on in life that she kind of set the rules, but he agreed with them. 
So, you know, he never tried to circumvent him or try to twist us or why she wasn't home. Y'all can do this. Y'all can do that. I, I never saw that. So uh, mm -hmm. it's really good to see United Front because to see two different uh, uh, ways of, of training or upbringing in a home can really damage uh, a child. Yeah. And that and that, that goes to something that I, I have seen more in the church than when I was not in the church. People in the church, I'm going to say it, and I don't mean to be offensive to anybody, but fronting, you know, like they're all nice and kind at church, smiling, happy, Sabbath, oh, all this good stuff. And then at home, snapping at the kids and snapping at each other and just you know, my mama used to say fighting like dogs and cats in the house, but at church, and then we lose our kids because, you know, it's just fake. It's not real. And they know it's not real. And this, and we can try to convince them that this is real, but it's not. And so we, you, we end up losing them. I see that, you know, a lot. And that's, I don't know why we, why, why we do it. And, we, and we've actually met people who are leaders in church you know, and but when they get home after church, they cussing kids out. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> that ain't supposed Andre, to be happening. Andre, tell them that story about what happened at Carla in school and the little boy. Oh, one of the kids that but was... You, oh. Yeah, but you're going to have to kind of... Yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> one of the kids, uh, this was here at, in St. Louis because she's now in New Orleans, but one of the, one of the you know, the kids tell on each other. So one of them came in, oh, he he said a cuss word, oh. So about five of them came to tell on the one boy. And he was like, oh, my goodness, you said something wrong? Well, so she asked him, what did you say? So he finally said it. And she was like, oh, my goodness, why would you say such an ugly word? That's not a nice word. Where would you find something? How would you even hear anything like that? I heard it from my mother. Your mother? <laughs> goodness so she called the father and told the father and the father said oh my goodness oh my goodness well where would he find such a word he said well she, he said he heard your wife on the phone talking to somebody i said oh my goodness so sometimes these parents are, are, are to blame yeah i mean they're watching you they're like little recorders actually their whole job is to learn how to function in this world and we can say one thing but our behavior and actions are a whole different things. I have heard Christians, you know, Adventists say, you know, Sister White, it's impossible to do what she's asking us to do. Or I have heard, you know, African-American Christians say, well, you know, are they Black kids? Then they're going to get their, they need a behind whoop, you know, you can't like raise kids without spanking them or beating them or whatever. Well, I believe you can. I believe that the problem is not that, you know, spanking, let's put it like this, spanking is not the only way to get um, children's attention. And in a sense, it might be, um, and I'm not going to say that spanking doesn't work because I got spanked a lot. And, but I never did the same bad thing twice. I, you know, changed up my game <laughs> <laughs> and did another bad thing. But, you know, um, I don't, I'm not going to say that spanking does not work for people, but it's not the only thing that you can do. There's a lot of things and some things are just fun to do. Some things are really, really fun if you get creative about how you're going to teach your child the best way to do to do things, you know, and stuff. So 
I think we need fathers. You know, I hear a lot of people say they don't need a man. I, I disagree with that. I, I don't think that men are like women and they're different from women. And God apparently, he knows better than we do because he set it up male and female. And so he doesn't want just one, one person to have all the input. And I, I believe that to be absolutely true. And that, um, you know, I deal, I deal with the situation. Lakita, you deal with it from a counseling standpoint. I deal with it from the standpoint of when parents are, are, are breaking up and, you know, children are involved. And so I, I just really think that it's best when you do have both parents actively involved together with mm-hmm. the children, because even when they, like when they're divorcing parents, mm-hmm. a lot of times the kids are going to play the parents against each other because now they're in separate homes. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the children are going to, the children are going to want to go to the home where less discipline is being utilized mm-hmm. and where they can do what they want to do when they feel like it and less mm-hmm. attention is given to them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so yes. now if you don't have a parent that is, is as uh, you know, practically speaking, that is present, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. as a parent raising them, then that suits children just fine because they can do whatever, especially when they get up into the preteens and teens, mm-hmm. they can do whatever they want to do and they mm-hmm. don't get much backlash from it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really, um, Karen, in general, I think that's where we are with kids. I don't think people really um, press them to do anything, to contribute in any way to the family. I think that we, for some reason, people have just made the teenage years kind of like a wasted, you know, it's like a, a wasted valley, a, a, you know, a wasted land. You're not gonna do anything. You're not really teaching anything because you know, they need social, their peers are very important to them, and socialization is very important to them. Socialization starts at home. We start to teach social skills and social cues at home, and it should not be handed over to other teenagers, their peers, to be their guides. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of teenagers love to be indulged and petted and allowed to do all the stuff they their little heart's desire, but once a person matures and grows up and has their own kids, then they say, wow, you know, now I see what my parents was talking about when they said to come in before this time or don't be out with these type people. Now it rings a bell because you have kids and you're trying to do the same things with them that your parents were doing. And a lot of times uh, when we grow up, we realize, wow, my mom and my dad, they really they really uh, cared about me. They loved me so much that they had these, um, I guess, what we would call them rules and regulations. They weren't to stop me from enjoying life, but were to help me to have a good life. The same way we look at the commandments that God gives us, they're not to stop us from prospering, but so that we will prosper and have an eternal life after this one. Absolutely. I remember one of my sons telling me, because my sons used to complain that they couldn't get to go run the streets with their friends and all of that kind of stuff. One of them told me after he was grown, he said, Mom, he said, I hate to tell you this. He said, but everything that you said while we were growing up, everything that you did was right. (laughs) You kept us out of trouble, you know. And, And, you know, I like what I like what Elder Carroll said, too. 
even when there's not two parents in, in the situation. I give it to my daughter. She was able to get on the phone, you know, and say, and she would tell, you know, their dads what they were doing. And those dads would call back from Indiana and say, put them on the phone. And for some reason, I said both of them, when they, when they did something, they'd be like, uh, Grandma, Mama's just taking it to the extreme and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, but that's your mother. I'm your grandmother. <laughs> but then when they daddies got on the phone and told them, don't let me hear that as I come to St. Louis. And you know, me and you're going to have a man-to-man talk. And these, they were in their teens then. They was like, and she called my daddy. Then I see the tears coming. I'd be like, that's all it took. You had one conversation with your daddy and you crying. So, you know, I just sat back and I was like, you know, that's something when, you know, I, even a phone call from a daddy made a difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Andre, tell him about, this is a little different situation, but tell him about um, the time when you, your car was stopped because of an accident or you were stopped in traffic because of an accident. Remind me of what you're talking about. Remember, and when you got up there, it was your, it was your car. Oh, oh, I was on my way home, getting ready to go, get ready for the Sabbath. And me being selfish as we can be, I see an accident up ahead and I was hoping they weren't in my way so I could get home and get ready for the Sabbath on a Friday. And as I got closer to the car, I noticed it was my family. They were in the accident. I was like, oh my goodness. Of course, my whole attitude completely changed from I hope they're not in my way to, oh my goodness, what happened? And the front of the windshield was broken out or, or, or it was a big gash in it, which is where my child would have been sitting which uh, ended up being Charlie went into the windshield. And uh, I, I when I, I got out and I ran up and the policeman was telling me that I couldn't come over there, I said, this is my family. He was like, oh, okay. So I went over and I talked to uh, talked to Carla and she was seemed to be okay. Then I went into the ambulance and to my surprise, Charlie had just terror on his face, which I thought would be because of what he had been through. But the minute he saw, or the second he saw my face, everything changed. He got, he just calmed down. And I was like, Charlie, you okay? He said, my head kind of hurts. I said, okay, it's going to be all right. These people are going to take you to the hospital. I'm going to go grab your grandmother. We're going to end up up there. And he was completely fine after he saw his dad. Once dad came, and that let me know how much trust he put in me. Once he saw my face, he was like, oh, I'm good now. My daddy's here. I don't know who these white men are, these folks that's driving this ambulance and these firemen. I don't know none of these people. But once my daddy shows up, I'm good. So that kind of made me feel good. And that's a great it, That's exactly how we should be with Christ. That's how we should be with Christ when he shows up. We calm down and realize, oh, my daddy's here. Everything's going to be great now. Mhm. Mhm. Me and Ella Curl was thinking the same thing. <laughs> Amen. I heard a story of a little girl uh, on an airplane, and the airplane was something. Uh, uh, the wings had broken or turned or something. The turbulence was really bad, and the people were panicking. And they were saying, you could hear them saying prayers out loud. And they were, you know, the whole plane was just you know, calling people, this is, you know, the plane is going down, whatever, whatever. And this one little girl was just sitting there coloring or whatever. 
And so somebody asked her, she said, they said, why are you so calm? Why are you just sitting here? Every, I mean, the whole plane was just going crazy. And she said, well, I, she said, aren't you scared? They said, aren't you scared? And she said, no. They said, why not? She said, because my daddy is the pilot and he knows I'm on this plane and he's not going to let this plane go down. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That's funny. And uh, that reminds me again of another story. Like I said, Ella Cleveland was always good for stories. Mm -hmm. He said he was flying to one of the islands to preach that night. And uh, it was a smaller plane. So, you know, smaller planes, they bump around more. So the mm -hmm. plane got into a storm. It was bumping and rocking and people was crying and praying and, you know, screaming about the plane going down. And the lady sitting next to him shook his arm and said, why are, why are you so calm? This plane's going down. He said, woman, this plane ain't going down. I got to preach tonight. <laughs> uh-huh. And that that that's faith. And that, that says a lot about, um, these stories say a lot about the trust that um, children give to their fathers. Um, Patsy, the story you told and, and, and the fear of the father, but also that the father is a house band and should be the house band for, for his family and for his children. And they should be able to look to him for security, for peace, for protection, you know, for truth, all of those things. Uh, let's see, we're now in paragraph 547.2. And she starts talking about a church there and that, that, that um, she says that, basically that God designed to have a church in that place. She said, there's material there for a good church. She said, but a lot of work that needed to be done to remove the rough edges and prepare them to work together, basically that they may labor unitedly. And she said that there had been different people, like one or two who felt the necessity of arousing and standing unitedly upon the platform of truth. But then there were others who not only did they make no effort to arise, but Satan put in them a spirit to rebel. So they discouraged anybody who would advance. And then they braced themselves when urged to take hold of the work and a stubborn spirit comes on some of them when they should help, they hinder. Um, and then she said, some would not submit to the planning knife of God as it passes over them and the uneven surface is disturbed. They complain of too close and severe work. They wish to get out of God's workshop where their defects may remain undisturbed. They seem to be asleep as to their condition, but their only hope is to remain where the defects in their Christian character will be seen and remedied. So, you know, we all know that as Christians, you know, we all have defects in our character and that before we can see the face of Jesus, we have to have all those defects removed. We have to submit to the, 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 the potter's will, we have to submit to the burning. We have to submit to all those things that God needs to do in us to save us or do for us or on us to save us. But, you know, there are a lot of people that they don't, they, they can't endure it. They don't want it. You know, there's a scripture that says all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so some people like, are like, okay, well, I don't want to suffer persecution. So I'm just going to get out of the furnace. I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to just remove myself from all of that. But the only way we're going to be able to be purified is to go through it. Any comments? 
I had a comment about up above. It talks about uh, church, and it points out that sometimes when people, <clears throat> when few people want to stand more firmly and unitedly upon the platform of truth or follow God's word more clearly and nearly, uh, there's a lot of people in the church who don't want to do that. And then mm -hmm. Satan puts them into a spirit to rebel against it and try to discourage those who want to advance. And I think mm -hmm. we've all been there where, you know, someone or maybe you or someone else has said, you know, this would be a great thing for the church to move forward. And it would be very helpful to the community if we do this or that. And then there's others who say, you know, they want to discourage you. No, we don't need to do that. We fine doing what we're doing. And no, let's not be involved in this or that. You know, we have to realize that God is calling us to follow his spirit, but this that Satan is calling other people to follow his. So whenever mm -hmm. you have a thought or a plan or a program or an idea that you feel God is giving you to move the church closer to where he wants us to be, that it's not going to go smoothly. There's always going to be people to disagree and try and block you. But again, we have to firmly stand upon truth and do what mm -hmm. thus saith the Lord. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That makes me think about Abraham and Isaac and how Abraham didn't tell Sarah what he was getting ready to go do when he was told to go sacrifice Isaac um, because he felt, he believed that she would, she would hinder it. And so he didn't even she tell She might have stabbed him. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I don't think there would have been any cooperation in that thing. I think Sarah would have been like, no, nah, no, nah, you, you go find something else, some kind of animal, but you ain't going to take the son. Mm -hmm. My only son? No, you're not taking him. Yep. Hmm. Which, which kind of speaks to people telling you God would never tell you to do that. You don't know what God would tell you to do. That's the thing. And God only speaks to those that he can speak to for certain situations. He couldn't have told Sarah that. He had to tell Abraham that. Mm -hmm. So we have to be sure when we are, when we tune in and lock into the Lord, we know his voice. You know, and sometimes you just you can't say to other folks because they'd be like they might call the call the police on you. I mean, think about that. If somebody was to say, well, "I'm supposed to go up here and take my son's life," the Lord told me to do that. Uh uh, they gonna call. They gonna call the police. You ain't taking my son nowhere. Also, I think too when I think of fathers, they have a you know even though you know they have a responsibility to get with the mom to you know decide helping the children grow. But mothers have a more nurturing. Sometimes, you know, we kind of say, well, we'll give them a punishment, but we don't want it too hard. You know what I'm saying? Because you see, and, and, and I, I have one and I have watched. When she cries, oh, I feel like crying too. But she knows that's the way that she can get over on her mom and dad. If she let the tears come, then it's going to be, you know, it's going to be different because they're going to see the tears and that softens them up. Yeah, but you know, some kids never come to to figure out how they can get what they want. They just they just pig head and bull head and keep moving forward. I was gonna say this too, back to earlier in the conversation where the person was telling the, the child to telling the mother to shut up. I would say too that that per mother needs or father needs to spend time with the child, you know, um, 
they need to reboot and rebuild that relationship too. Because somewhere along the line, um, the respect has been lost or it might even be that the child doesn't even know, you know, how bad it is, but they, most kids know at, by a certain age how bad that is. But um, a relationship, all God asks for us from us is a relationship. And if a relationship with us and God is enough to get us into heaven, it should be enough to have that relationship with our children to bring them into a better, um, a better way of re, um, communicating with us. So sometimes all of our relationships are just punishing, but the relationship has to involve more than that, communicating, teaching, providing, protecting. You know, it has other, there's other components to parenting other than just punishing. Or rather discipline. Amen. Amen. Right. You know, so the thing with <clears throat> when we're talking about men and women being different, we have different ways of handling things. It doesn't mean one's right or one's wrong, just different. For example, if uh, sometime when the kids are playing and maybe one of them fall down and get a scratch, Lakita should come and wash it and put a Band-Aid on it if they're with her. If they're with me, I'll look at it. They ain't bleeding too bad. Come on. <laughs> you know, tell them wipe it off and keep moving. But it doesn't mean that either of us is wrong, but we have different ways of doing things. So we have to, again, that cooperation is a huge part of parenting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, down in the next paragraph, and we're at uh, 548.1. She talks about people who harbor lust and we know there's lust of the eyes lust of the flesh and so um she's talking about people who harbor lust and she said it's a constant hindrance to their spiritual advancement and she said that um if straight truths were were spoken to them they're offended and they feel grieved and injured and withdraw themselves from the assemblies of the saints and they forsake coming together with the saints because then their consciences are not disturbed and they soon lose their interest in the church and their love for the truth. And unless they entirely reform, will go back and take their position with the rebel host who stand under the black banner of Satan. But she says, if these will crucify these fleshly lusts which war against the soul, they will get out of the way where the arrows of truth will pass harmlessly by them. So but basically, if they stop doing those things that are hindering their spiritual growth, then the arrows of truth won't hit them. But if they continue doing those things, the arrows of truth will continue to hit them. And then they take the stance of, well, I don't want to be around people anymore that are talking about what I should be doing and what I'm doing wrong and all of that. She says, some think, some think that, um, let, me, let me see. But she said that while they indulge lustful appetite and they cherish their idols, they make themselves a mark for the arrows of truth to hit. And if truth is spoken at all, they will be wounded. And she says something they can't reform and that health would be sacrificed should they attempt to leave off the use of tea, tobacco, and flesh meats. But she said, this, is, this comes from Satan. She said, oh, it, it is these hurtful stimulants that are surely undermining our body, our physical constitutions and preparing the system for acute diseases by impairing nature's fine machinery and battering down her fortifications erected against disease and premature decay. It's funny, we were just talking about today after church uh, about the things that 
you know, as we get older, we need to be um, more, um, I guess, conscious about as far as our health and taking care of our health and, 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 and you know, dealing with things so that we won't be or possibly will not be um, in a situation where we are unable to take care of ourselves as we get older. Uh, any comments on any of that? You know, when you was reading that, it brought me back to remembering that old saying that the truth shall set you free. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it just depends on what kind of freedom you're looking for. If you're looking to get away from it because yeah. you don't want the truth, you don't want you don't want to change what you're doing or how you're acting, your character. Yeah, then you're going to get away from the truth. Um, but but if you are doing what you should be doing, then those arrows won't hit you. <laughs> but no, even so, been... you know, when you, when you hear the truth and it's in your heart and you know that the Holy Spirit had, you know, whether it's through a sermon or a song or even through another church member that's just sitting, you know, and, and discussing things with you. When you hear the truth, you know that that person is telling you the truth out of love. So, you know, you, 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 I just say you can discern with if somebody's telling you the truth out of love or if they're telling you the truth because this is what they think and this is what they do. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. if, if, uh, let me give you an example. If I don't like Sister So-and-So, what I do to her, I just roll my eyes at her. It ain't nothing wrong. You ain't got to speak to her. See what I'm saying? But if somebody comes to you and says, Sister, God loved you enough to forgive you, why don't you forgive the other sister? You see what I'm saying? Then you know that person is saying, okay, you know, I'm not judging you, but I'm telling you what does said the Lord. If you're going to go to heaven, you're going to have to get it right now down mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, there's been many people leave the church because they felt like the pastor was preaching directly at them. But, you know, I'm sure there are some pastors that might do that. But generally speaking, that's what she was just saying. Uh, your conscience is what's condemning you. Mm -hmm. You hear the truth, the Holy Spirit saying, yep, that's true, that's right, and you don't want to hear it, so you, you end up leaving the church because you just can't handle it. Uh, down at the bottom, I was going to say, uh, I think it was week, maybe a couple weeks ago, Lakita was mentioning about talking to people about uh, their enemies, killing them, you know, poor health habits, and then that's exactly what she's talking about here. People mm -hmm. thinking that their poor health habits, if they should stop it, that it's going to harm them. Mm -hmm. But what they're doing is what's harming them. Not, right. not if they stop it. It's just, it's just conditioning their body to be more um, available for disease and illness. But mm -hmm. they don't see it that way. They think, oh, if I, if I don't get my coffee in the morning, I just can't function or you know, mm -hmm. I got to have, you know, a certain kind of meat that I always like eating. That mm -hmm. stuff is harming you. It's killing you. But Satan has put in our minds the opposite, that this is what's helping you to be healthy. No, he's just lying to us with that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, she ends this chapter talking about, you know, just give nature a chance that that if we um, or people that are on, you know, these unhealthy uh, lifestyles, people that have an unhealthy lifestyle as far as their eating and what they consume. She says that nature will rally and again perform her part nobly and well 
and that um, I think they said it takes like eight days maybe to change your your um, change your appetite. So like if you if you stay off something for eight days or whatever, nature takes over and starts trying to help you with that. And um, she said the use of unnatural stimulants is destructive to health and has a benumbing influence upon the brain, making it impossible to appreciate eternal things. And she says those who cherish these idols cannot rightly value the salvation which Christ has wrought out for them by a life of self-denial, continuing suffering and reproach, and finally by yielding his own sinless life to save perishing man from death. So... You know, if, if, if we decide, for instance, uh, well, I'm not going to drink soda anymore. Pretty soon, we don't even have the taste for it anymore. If we just give nature a chance, our, our nature will take over and our bodies will uh, adjust to that perfectly fine uh, or whatever. We say we're not meat, uh, cheese, whatever we say that, you know, we're going to get off of, then uh, nature will take over and we won't even have the taste or desire for it most of the time. That's not to say every now and then we might not have it, but for the most part, we would not even have that desire because nature will totally reboot our system for us. Any and you think about it, what she said earlier was the indulgence of an acquired depraved appetite. It's mm -hmm. all learned behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm pretty sure the only thing that babies want when they get into the world is milk and water mm -hmm. the rest of it we learn to like or dislike so mm -hmm. we've learned to like things that are harmful and we've learned to like things that are healthful and then we've learned to dislike harmful things and dislike healthful things so everything is learned it can be unlearned mm -hmm. right right absolutely i think they say it takes 21 days to develop a new habit so if you start out the day saying okay i'm gonna eat healthy today and you do it and you do that for 21 days and then nature helps and nature is going to help you help you with that and take over so that you don't have those same cravings anymore. As long as you stick to it, you won't have those same cravings for those things that, as you said, Lee, were, were learned, uh, were learned um, unnatural habits. Any final comments? No. Okay, Lee, where are we next week? Uh, next week, we're in the book Christian Service by Ellen White. And we're in this chapter one, sub chapter, channels of light and blessing. And it starts out, we are to be consecrated channels. As channels okay. of light and blessing starts out, we are to be consecrated channels. Okay. All right. Okay, um, let's see who we haven't heard from much. Paula, would you mind praying us out? Are you there, Paula? Okay, well, Patsy, would you mind praying us out? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for giving us a breath of life, for giving us another chance to come together to lift up your name. Lord, as we've heard our teacher today, and she's given us things to think about. Let the Holy Spirit lead and guide us. Put your wisdom, your understanding, and your knowledge in our hearts and our minds that we may go out and we may tell someone of your goodness and tell them the things that we are learning, that we may invite them to get on the line, to learn more about thee and what you would have us to do. Please continue to pour out your mercy and grace over your earth and each and every human being on it. 
and we will be careful to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. Save us all into your heavenly kingdom is my prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.